one time at game. In 2000, I ran my first game for more than one person. It was also the first LARP I had ever ran. I was terrible at mechanics, but I would delve into my extensive soap opera knowledge and my weekly world news newspapers and come up with fantastical plot ideas. At some point, we were prepping for a game and our plots were lacking. And we knew it. Our players needed something new, not a monster of the week, and we were just drawing a blank. My other storyteller at the time decided we needed to eat before the game, so we went to the closest fast food restaurant to the game site. It was a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was feeling down about our creative writer's block, so he offered to buy me dinner. I just shrugged at him and looked at the menu. Nothing jumped out at me until I glanced down at the placemat sticker on the counter. It was an advertisement for their new barbecue chicken flavored sandwich. The chicken sandwich wasn't barbecue flavored. It was chicken flavored. I thought that was the greatest, most ridiculous piece of marketing mistake ever. So I ran with it. What was it if not chicken? That day, minutes before game started, my storytelling staff quickly formed the beginning of a plot that spanned 10 years, three gaming organizations, and more games than I know. That idea became Chicken Hut, an evil fast food restaurant that served flavored food, but never the real thing. A threat to the game that always had the players terrified and laughing at the same time. One of my players even wrote a jingle. Chicken Hut, baby! Now, roll for initiative. Welcome to On a Roll, the podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you, we just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game, because the only way to win at a role-playing game is Is to to have have fun! That's great. Yeah. I was thinking we ought to change the beginning there, though, so that, like, in Carrie's part, she's like, we're not better gamers than you, but Ryan is. Uh, we, no, no, uh, no. You're, you're better at being the curmudgeon. The only way to win at a role-playing game is to have us there. Is to have <laughs> us there. Maybe, maybe. Yes. I think him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I am Ryan, the curmudgeon. Joining me, as always, is Carrie, the legend. Hi. And, of course, Jason, the, the favorite. favorite. That's right. Why do you always say that instead of me? Uh, because I'm the favorite. <laughs> I don't know that that works that way. No, yeah, if that's the only way that people know that you're the best is if you tell them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. <laughs> well, when last we left our tre- intrepid adventurers, Jason, you were working a bazillion hours a week and missing podcasts. Yep. Uh, I Finally, that's over, so I should be going back to reg- regular schedule for a while. And uh, st- but still missing our podcast. But still missing our... Well, I mean, it's just okay. I wouldn't say you missed our podcast. Well, I didn't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and Carrie, you had a ton of art shows. I did, and they all sucked. Oh, no. <laughs> like, Were they, your art or the shows? Uh, maybe my art, because like I, I broke even on every show I've done, and that was it. And one of them was free. <laughs> and one of them was free, yeah. Like, it was it was rough. But you like, paid for gas? Yeah, like, I paid for gas, and I paid for lunch on all of the days. So, like, literally, I, I broke even on everything, which is almost more frustrating than not breaking even at all, because then you just feel like you're treading water. Right. And it's like, why am I doing this? Unless sure. you drown, that you know that something's going then on. Then you're done. Yeah, okay, yeah. I can be done with this. You know, otherwise, I'm just paddling and it's terrible well you know we love your art but we're also obligated to say that, that. yes you are so you know so it's okay. obligated yeah um and then what else is, um let's see uh 
Well, Jason wasn't here for uh, the the LARP that the three of us run because of his crazy hours, yep. and he missed our entire game exploding. I in... heard the Anarchs and the Camarilla are going to go to war. Yeah, like there's war brewing, and like there was murder plots, and there's all this crazy stuff. And sounds fun. And they, but the thing is, they didn't like loop the staff in. Well, that's pretty standard. Uh, now it, it didn't used to be that way, but now now it's pretty standard. So and that's like, why they call you the legend. Yeah, because you're always saying back in my day, back in the day. Yeah, um, I blame myself. Yeah, I do uh, blame you. I blame you too. And, and then I had the, on top of the the LARP exploding, I had one of the weirdest mush experiences I've ever had. Oh, you told me a little bit about this, yeah. but I don't remember exactly. Um, we we have a play. All right, we're out of time. <laughs> Join us. <laughs> so a, let's hear about your weird play. I have a, a player who's very sensitive. Wait, sure. Hang on. Yeah. Wait. I is know. it is it me? Uh, <laughs> no. You are pretty that's, sensitive. I'm, I'm, that's a whole I'm a very other. Sensitive man. That's a yeah. whole other podcast yeah. and a different kind of sensitive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So I break. I'm breaking out right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. But like. I, you know, I, I saw him sitting in the out-of-character room, not doing it, and so I was like, hey, do you want to have a scene? And he was like, okay. So we, we had the scene, and I thought everything was fine, and when it was over, he just kind of randomly was like, I don't trust you. He just told you that? Yeah. He just told me how he didn't trust me as a storyteller, as, as a staffer. Hang on, wait, wait, the wait. Game. You sure it wasn't me? Uh, <laughs> How do you deal with that? What do you do when I you're told, hey, I don't trust you, Staffer? Well, it was, it was I just sat there for a minute because, you know, luckily you sure. have the moment that you don't have, you know, like, they can't see your face. With Mush, there's no, like, I mean, you like could you, be away from your keyboard for a second. Right, and nobody freaks out or anything. Um, but people and, do read those pauses. Yeah, sometimes. Because and, I've run scenes online, and you know when the other person is like, I'm going to go look responding. in the book. And They're figuring right. something out. Are they stumped? Are they researching? Are they... Talking to somebody nah. else? Yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah. It, but it was so strange because, like, he just went on this tirade about how he didn't trust myself or any staff on any game ever because we could kill characters. Well, yeah. And, and that's And I kept going, well, but on the mush, we don't kill characters unless the player is okay with it like we, so you have a consent it's consent based, yeah it's, yes. it's more consent based and he was just like i don't i it's just it's not good storytelling it's not a good game it's he not should, should start his own mush well and he kept saying i don't belong here in this game and finally i had to be like maybe you don't i'm sorry that you because i kept offering things to help and none of it was good that enough. is that is the very thing though that most storytellers are afraid to do is to just let them go. Well, and I said, you know, it's maybe, hard. I was yeah. like, you know, you are clearly not happy here at this game. I'm sorry that I'm not running a game that you're comfortable in. Your comfort level is more important than the game. Right. Go so, find a game that you're comfortable right, in. That you and, fit. Yeah. And then I got the well. I'm 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 just hanging out here. I just won't play. But I I have, I have some friends on the game that I like to talk to, and this is the only way I know how to get a hold of them. And I just went, oh okay. And he sits in our out of character room now. That's I'm not funny. sure if I would allow that. I, I I'm not a mush guy, so yeah, I don't know what it's like. It's it's weird because the problem is if you tell someone no, you have to go. You get weird reputations. As you throw somebody out. Yeah, you because you threw him out because he didn't want to roleplay with you. And it's like, that's not how that 
played out, but okay. It really bothered me for a few days. I was really upset about it because, you know, I don't like someone coming up to me and telling me that they don't feel safe in my game. Right. Letting a player go. Yeah. It's it's hard. Yeah, that too. That too. You you do want to facilitate people feeling comfortable coming to you to tell you things like that. Right. But at the same time, if they don't trust any of the staff, why are they there at all? Exactly. Surely there's another place they can hang out with their friends. And there was nothing I could have done. Right. Because I, I went back over the conversation and I, I'm i pretty sure I did ever like I copied the whole conversation and gave it to my to my staff to look at so they all knew what was That's going on. That's a great on. move. You know, like not to be like, oh, look what he's... You know, it was more just like, hey, this player has these issues. If you talk to him, be aware, be, you know, be, be safe. That you know, is like, the one super nice thing about a mush is that it is all... Uh, because it's all text-based, there is an, essentially a paper trail yeah. for everything, and you can show. Look, this, this is player what said. This player this... behaved this way, or what? Or this is what I said, and you know. And hey, maybe you're wrong. And looking back over it, you can say, right? I did okay, I see where you know, or... like it. This whole situation in this game really bothered and upset me. Kind of shook me for a while, like because it happened. Right as all of the LARP stuff was exploding. So then I was second guessing myself going, did I, did I do something to him because I was worried about what was happening in the LARP? Or did I miss something in the LARP because I was so concentrating on what was happening on the mush and... It was or, just. Do you just suck, or do I just suck? <laughs> you you know. Maybe I'm a legend because I suck. I don't know. You know. I was on a Facebook group for storytellers. Uh, no, for dungeon masters specifically, mm-hmm. and one of the people posted, "Should dungeon masters be allowed to run multiple games at once?" Which, which to me, the first thing is that's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, I can run as many or a few games as I want. <laughs> you can choose to play them if you want to or not. The truth yeah. is it depends on the dungeon master. Like they should run as many or as few as their gaming group wants them to or that they are capable of running well. And, but then I get to thinking about how many times I've tried to run two or three games at once and I realized there is a limit to how many games I can run at Absolutely. once. Absolutely. But I also think it helps if the games are different. It, like genres, you mean? Yeah, the genres. Like you know, I'm running a vampire LARP, but I'm also running a superhero mush. Those two things are so different that. And maybe your limit is higher than mine. Maybe. And that doesn't matter yeah. either way. Uh, I, I still think limit, that's a BS question. My limit. Is, yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> my limit's zero. It, uh, it probably yeah. should be too. Yeah, yeah. Jason, yeah. you bought books. Yes, I bought the Arts of LARP by David Simpkins. It's kind of a overview of LARPing and various forms. I'm about halfway through it, and it talks about a lot of the research that's going on nowadays, and it delves in some of the old theories about why people role-play and things like that. Uh, it focuses on LARP, and I also bought Role-Playing Studies, a Transmedia Approach. Oh, it's Transmedia. Oh, yeah, I know. I throwback. Know. But what it, uh, it's kind of like the textbook about role-playing games. It actually is a textbook, right? Yes, that is. it was produced specifically to be a textbook for people to study role-playing games. It is full of references. It's full of all kinds of uh, different articles about LARP and there role-play. Are... And the, I could spend a whole episode talking about just the first chapter. I flipped through that book, and I have to say, though, there were not enough Venn diagrams or pictures for me. <laughs> that was where, yeah, where well, I Well, to be it. fair, when you were in college, back in the old times... Right. In the, they in the just had... Uh, they do have some diagrams. Right. I, I am just now getting into it, and of course I'm going to loan it to you if you want it. Yeah, I do. I would like to look at yeah. it. Yeah, and... 
I'm fascinated by the fact that people are finally producing more books on role-playing games and game design in general. Right. Uh, like I read The Art of Fun, I want to say that's what it was called, which is focuses on uh, computer role-playing game design, but it's essentially talking about the reason why we play games broadly is because we learn something and uh, humans... Be- experience fun based on learning something new. And I don't know that I 100% agree with that, but I certainly always enjoy learning something new, especially if the person tricks me into learning it based on something else. Right. Like right now, I'm learning that you are really boring. I I am pretty boring. I like to read books about LARPs. It turns out it is not fun for me. Oh, well, (laughs) that's why you're the curmudgeon. Right. So I just, I've got a new book too. I've got Michael Shea's The Lazy Dungeon Master. Uh, He is... Uh, it, it's kind of an old, older, famous book, but it's... I've heard of it. It's sort of based on this idea. I mean, it's a thin paperback, and it's sort of based on this idea of uh, running the game off the cuff and the dangers of being overprepared. Right. And how to be underprepared and successful. He's, Which is sort of our theory of running games. Right. <laughs> be underprepared and be successful. Right. He uh, is... Worked so far. Right. He's about to do a, like a second edition of it. That's why I got this is because I had kickstarted his, the second edition. And so as part of that, I got the print copy of the first. So I'm excited to, to be reading that. I and believe I read an article that he wrote a few years ago. And uh, from what I remember, it was pretty good. Yeah. And then I'm uh, still... Uh, Ashley and I are still cranking away on the gum belt. I can't um, wait to see the next version. We are ready. We were, We actually talked about maybe trying to play test tomorrow, but I think we're maybe a week, a weekend early on that. So we may try to do, do well, something next week. I won't be available next weekend. So what? Or I won't be available this weekend, maybe next weekend. Aww. So let me know. That's adorable. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I have to plan ahead. And also, you want somebody to tell you if it's good or not. Right. All right, let's go to combat round. Okay, welcome to combat. Today's topic is where do ideas come from? Or as as Carrie has decided to dub it, the light bulb episode. So we're talking about sparking creativity. One of the interesting things about creativity is that creativity, when we think, what do you have to do to get creative? A lot of people think that it's important to do things to foster creativity, like have downtime or, you know, sit and be alone or or get a quiet room for a little bit or whatever. But research has shown that when you actually look into when creativity happens, it, it never actually happens in those times that we think it's supposed to happen. It always happens like when you're exercising or you're driving or you're about to fall asleep or about to wake up. Um, or when you're just having conversations with others, or the big one for me is when I'm showering. Like that is like one of the most creative spaces for me ever and not any sort of uh, gross, inappropriate, unpermissible way. (laughs) I didn't think we included that in the list of impermissibles. I'm just saying. I mean, naked. (laughs) Curmudgeons naked in the shower. (laughs) Being creative. A little... So so let's kind of just talk, what do you guys do? What do you do to get your creative juices flowing and, and get inspired? I've got two things that, that seem to work for me, which is doing something at work that's really boring. Right. I'll get to thinking about something in the back of my mind. Like, hey, I've got this problem I want to solve in designing Orion. Uh, here's the problems. How can I overcome them? And then I start thinking through it step by step. 
And then I have to make sure that as soon as I get an opportunity, I write it all down because it will go away. Uh, the other one is sometimes I just sit down and start writing stuff and sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's useful. I don't ever know for sure which one is going to be and just putting something on paper seems to help. Just charging forward. I know that when I get brainless things at my jobs, that actually is a big a big spark. Years ago, I used to work at, at like an eyeglass place where I made eyeglasses in about an hour. And uh, <laughs> some of that, be? you know, some of that was just like watching, watching the machines run for the minute and a half cycle. And it was just sitting there listening to the sound of that thing go woof, 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 the whole time and watching the cylinder spin. And it was like... A minute and a half of just like pure creativity, you know, and then it was like, why'd you break those lenses? It was like, because I was thinking about this other thing and how awesome it was. <laughs> did you did you remember to write all that stuff down or is it gone forever? Oh, it's gone forever. Okay. Yeah, it's long gone. What about you? What do you do, Carrie, for, for inspiration? For inspirado. Well, I'm, I'm on a little bit of a different boat than you guys because my day job is being creative. Right. It is painting and drawing and stuff. Sometimes you just sit down and you do it. Right. Um, you know, like Make I, something, edit it into something good. Right, exactly. The times that I have those creative sparks you're talking about, um, for me, the most is when we're traveling. Right. Because um, I'm a bounce ideas off of people person. I love that. If I'm trapped in a car with somebody... They have no choice. They have no choice but <laughs> to work work things through. Ryan and I created an entire mush game on a trip up to Chicago one time, and then I messaged my other uh, staffer on the mush, and I was like, "Guess what we're doing?" And poor which, Tanya was like, "Okay." Which one was that? Uh, I we we had uh, we had I had a game that was closing because the story was sure. Done. And instead of closing the game, we just changed it. One of the things you have to realize about mushes is that because it's all on servers and stuff, that like the process of like closing the game down or starting a new one is cumbersome because you have to deal with like serving hosts and sure. all this. So it's way so easier to, to just, just change it. Yeah, like if this game oh. if this game is done, that then just end it and then reskin it to a new game. Okay. Um, cool. And so I was I was helping with a fifth wave game. Uh, which is a terrible set of books. A terrible set of books, but was a great setting for a game. We changed that game to the Lost and Found game, which is that's the supernatural. Oh, one the supernatural one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so there. So don't go traveling with me unless you want me to make a new game. Well, we did used to work out a lot of RVR plots on the way to game. <laughs> <laughs> I would come over and pick you up, and yeah. mine would drive separately. And we'd yeah, like, and we'd okay, just, what are we running? What are we doing tonight? <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Carrie, and honestly, it worked pretty regularly. Carrie very much, uh, her creative juices really, uh, I don't want to say they're dependent on a sounding board, but like that's like where she fires. You know, when, yeah. when, she, when, when her cylinders really start firing, it's when she's throwing it at, at somebody. I really like know? that, too. Sometimes I'll message people after I've had an idea to be like, is this good? Yeah. It feels <laughs> like it's good, There's but I don't know. Here. Right. And sometimes I'm like, ah, I think they're wrong. This is and, good. <laughs> and, and I love it when you have an idea and I go, Jason, I PM yeah. you an idea and you go... There's something there, but that's not it. And then we work it out, and then suddenly it's a completely different plot. But it's, but it's good. Now. It's good. Yeah. yeah. I've always found that, especially when you're brainstorming amongst a staff or a group of people, uh, there is an incredible importance to to acknowledging that even the worst idea is important to the brainstorming process. Yes. 
Because bad ideas sometimes trigger the thought that moves to like a real idea, mm-hmm. a good creative spark. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to mention, I don't want to throw out this idea because it's dumb, but that's exactly why you have to throw it out. You throw out that dumb idea and then the other person goes, yeah, that is a pretty dumb idea, but you said the word potato and that makes me think. Of this what other about- thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I also think it's super important to be comfortable with your staff. Yes. You to, to be, be able to, to, to be able to go, I've got this idea about a potato, right. you know, and, and while and you can all, it is great. Yeah. But, and like, you can all laugh about it and if it is dumb, you can move on, you know, but like, you don't feel like five weeks later, get made fun of. Right. Like for yes. real made fun of, not like teasing. Yeah. We always, we always talk about this. It's kind of a local famous plot that we ran uh, in a werewolf game a few years ago. But the idea came about this way is we had read in the paper that there were these hills above these tunnels in Chattanooga. Oh, the kudzu <laughs> So there's all this kudzu there, right? right? And the city of Chattanooga was bringing in goats to eat the kudzu uh, because it was easier. Kudzu is very difficult to, to kill and all this stuff. And one of the best ways to control kudzu is with goats. So they brought on in all of these goats. Like they and, brought them in. Like it right. was a special task Force. And we and we were laughing about it one night in a car, trying to come up with a plot to run. And we were like, "Man, I wish that there was some way to run a plot like these like these goats, because that's so ridiculous." But I mean, what do you do with goats? And I remember like Carrie was had actually she actually looked right at me and she said she said, "I know, right? What a stupid plot, kudzu eating goats." And then we both <laughs> stared at each other for a second and we realized that's it. Yeah, kudzu eating goats. Kudzu. Eating goats. Right. <laughs> and so, like, this terrible idea of, like, kudzu eating goats <laughs> became a good kudzu line. eating goats, which was great. And so, um, yeah, so not all not all bad ideas are bad. Are bad. Or or even if they are bad, they, they hold value. Let's talk then, I guess, most of the time when you're trying to be creative, you're trying to be creative either if you're a storyteller, you're trying to be creative with coming up with a new setting or a new plot, or if you're a player, you're trying to come up with like your new character. So let's kind of break those down and, and just go through those three sort of creative things. Let's let's just talk a little bit about how you go about creating a setting. Like Jason, you're working on Orion, the space lark. The space lark. Well, uh, I think first of all, you have to come up with a theme and build your setting around it, because whenever you're designing anything, you have to come up with fundamentally what are you trying to say first. And then build everything around that. You have to be willing to be flexible on that if you come up with a better idea later on. But at the the first thing I thought about was I wanted to tell a story about how difficult it is to live in a world in which everything is controlled by people that are super rich and powerful. And how do you survive? And do you seek out to become rich and powerful? Or do you oppose that? And then also at the same time tell a story just about the day-to-day life of living in you know a, a metal box in space so where did those two what what was was there like a thing that made you think of those two ideas or at least one of them one of uh, one of them came from the fact that of course you know it's constantly in the news about how we're dealing with how super rich people are influencing our politics uh, one direction or the other and is that okay uh, another thing is I've been playing Vampire and other World of Darkness games forever, and I felt like wouldn't it be interesting to address some of the issues of the powerful versus the weak in a setting in which the characters weren't by default monsters? 
Sure. And in which you're just playing people who are dealing with that in different ways. And you right. deal with it the way people do instead of the way that monsters do. And I'm interested in in if you can do that in a way that's maybe healthier than Vampire right. and still have a level of uh, competitiveness among players and cooperation out of character that Vampire in all its iterations seems to discourage. And I don't know that that's a specific issue with a rule set or the setting itself. Well, no, I'm going to say it's the setting itself yeah, because setting. you're told to pretend to be a monster all night. Right. And that's really hard. Yeah. It's <laughs> emotionally difficult to both receive that and to do it. And it's a whole other episode. <laughs> and it's a whole other episode. <laughs> so I just was looking at a healthier way to do that. What about you, Carrie? What do you, where do you start when you're coming up with an idea for a setting? Well, I... <sighs> I've been kind of struggling with this because I've played in a lot of different games and you know, and I've helped build quite a few different worlds. Your playing resume is legendary. It's legendary. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, I like personally for there to be something unique and fun that you can't get anywhere else. Um, like with the the mush I was just talking about, the supernatural mush. Um, we had been talking about how that time era during World War II isn't really represented in any of the mushing games anyway. Really? Uh, th- not that we... I'm sure there are some, well, I'm, but... I'm sure there's something um, somewhere, but I'm surprised it, that it's not bigger. When you talk about eras on mushes, they're either... Like, what's popular is either uh, reflective settings, like what, uh, like World of Darkness is, where sure. it's like, it's the modern world. It, but, it's a reflection of the modern world right. with this other yeah. type of thing. Or you get a lot of f- fantasy... Sure. Things which kind of feel they feel a little middle medieval or romantic era, right? Uh, and then there's for whatever reason there's like this sprinkling of sci-fi and uh, westerns, and that's kind of it. So really, it's big genre fiction. It's big genre fiction, mm-hmm. and World War Two comes and goes, right? Because of the kind of swelling of people of the, and I don't mean this negatively, but like social justice issues, right? Um, anything that's in an era where anyone is oppressed in any way, they tend to be like, you can't play that game. Like I actually had people. It's tricky. Yeah, and it is, you know. And I was just like, I'm, you know, like, I was like, guys, it's just a game. Like, no, I'm not going to let anybody come in here and and be mean to somebody because they're female or because they're right. black. Or, right. you know, so you're saying you addressed it by saying. Just, just we're just hand wobbling it. it. This is to have fun, you know. Like, right. I, I try to focus on getting something unique in the game that they can't find anywhere else. Sure. That's fascinating. Yeah, I like that. I tend to fall somewhere right up the middle. Yeah. Like with what you two are talking mm-hmm. about. Like with the gun belt, we were very much like, you know, cowboys and dino- cowboys and robots riding dinosaurs uh, in a world without wheels. It sounds like yeah. a wouldn't it be cool if. It's a little bit of a wouldn't it be cool yeah. if. But, and it came from, you know, it comes from a few places. Like some of it's just my, my daily life. I have a daughter who is eight and a half and is... Going to be a paleontologist when she grows up and is absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs. So dinosaurs are on the mind of everyone in my house all the time. Uh, And then um, the you know interestingly enough, I hate westerns. I am not a. I don't like. You like running westerns though. But I enjoy. You know, my favorite World of Darkness game is Werewolf the Wild West. I know because the 
only two games that I've ever played in that you f- were the head storyteller were both Werewolf the Wild West mm-hmm. games. And I, I just, I love that. And the, it fits, Werewolf fits really well in the Wild West. I, I think that it's the best default setting for Werewolf. Yeah. Yeah, but we've absolutely. talked about that before. Right. I don't, I don't think that you, I think you like the genre of Wild West. I just don't think you like the stories that are told in the and Wild maybe West. I like, maybe I like the genre of Wild West, but I don't like Westerns. I yeah. mean, maybe that's... Maybe, no, absolutely. Maybe it well, is just that. You know what? There's lots of things that I like playing that I do not like watching. Right. Yeah. I mean, like sports, I do not watch sports at all. But if somebody's like, hey, let's play baseball, I'm totally into that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's that could be it. And so we've got a lot of things. You know, the gun belt, the gun belt just kind of turned one year old. The idea is just a little over one year old. Um, but like, you know, there's... A lot of stuff in pop culture right now that is timely, not you know, that didn't necessarily inspire what we were doing or, or anything, but has timed well, like Westworld, you yes. know, robots yeah. and cowboys, you know, robots like, and wow. cowboys. Uh, it's a natural, it's a natural. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, you know, steam, steampunk does this weird thing where it, it connects those sorts of things. Yes. In a strange way. So you know, and then and my thinking was like, what have we? How have we not seen these things before? The original quirk there is put the robot cowboy on a dinosaur, you know, and that's. I, I like the idea. I'm I'm interested. I want to yeah. see where it goes. So, with settings, you tend to have three types of settings. There's like a pre-existing setting, which is where you're creating sort of the local settings in a in a. In the D&D universe. Within the D&D universe or something like that. And then there's the reflective setting, which would be like World of Darkness, where it's like the real, a reflection of the real world with these, you know, supernatural layers on top of it or, or something like that. And then there's just the original where it's like completely 100%. You are making up, you know, everything about it. Like the gun belt is that way. It's Mm -hmm. an original setting. Um, I'm fascinated by original settings, uh, but I find it difficult sometimes to get into them because you have to go in with nothing. Right. Yeah. Because you don't already have something in the back of your mind. E- even even in the elements of the world of darkness that are just reflections of our reality, to even play for any length of time, you have to have read a decent chunk of material to understand what's going on. Right. Well, I think it doesn't matter if it's a reflective setting or a, an original setting or, or any of that, or, or a pre-existing setting. I think either way... You, you're stuck in finding inspiration in research. Um, you know, if, if if you're running a Star Wars game, you need to have watched the movie. At the very least. Right? <laughs> yeah. If it's a Dungeons & Dragons game, you probably should have read the, the Dungeon Master's Handbook, you know? Well, if you're running it. Right, if you're running it, if you're running it. Um, and so I, I think that we, we kind of are forced to find some of our creative inspiration, you know, in... In research, and a th- really well-designed game book makes you think of ideas to both run and play as you're going through it. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things. Is I'm reading a book, uh, like a player's handbook, and just see something and go, "Wow, that's something I want to play," immediately. Right, and I think that goes true with, uh, um, you know, if you're running something that's a reflective universe, like like the World of Darkness or Paranoia or something like that. I think Google the locations. <laughs> Oh man, the, the the thing we most deeply regret was yeah. running a game in a building built by slaves and forgetting to look that up. <laughs> and then not running any plots, we, even though the main NPC for the night had been a slave. Yeah. And it was we, a huge part of his history. Like we rolled into this this big fancy hotel. The Maxwell House. Yeah. 
and which is just, so cool. And was they, this a and, LARP? What are you, uh, yes, yeah. I'm sorry. This was a, the first LARP we ran for the Underground Theater yes. event. And and Jason and I were all prepped. Everything was good. We rolled in there. And then on the wall, as we walked in, was this giant plaque giving the history of the hotel, which had so much in it that we could have just ran the history of the hotel. And nothing else had been great yet. Yeah, and everyone would have been like, this is the greatest thing ever. And we just never thought to Google the hotel we were going to buy. <laughs> Which is crazy because we did Google Nashville stuff. We, everything Because it was in Nashville, in Nashville because oh. we needed to know different locations. <laughs> But then we completely forgot we the so place failed. we were actually sitting. We so failed. <laughs> I mean, I think the game came off pretty it good did, anyway. It did, but, but it, it could have been, been amazing. Yes, that's right. People would still be talking about that. Yeah. And if it's a you know if it's an original setting, just because there's not actually like source books or a location you can Google or things like that, you can still do research on an original setting. You need to consider what. What are the inspirational origins? Well, right. I also think something that you wrote in your book was that you should always know what the edges of your location or setting looks like because the players are going to explore the edges. Right. So if I make up a city, I need to make up the next closest city too. Even if I don't have as much detail, Yeah. I should yep. always have a little extra because players like to explore. That's create, the important I, part of it. I always kind of loosely just say when you're creating a world, you need to first create what you need then you need to create what you want because let's be honest, sometimes we just really want there to be a thieves guild in the sure. city or something. Yeah. You know, so create what you need for your story, create what you want for your story, and then you need to create everything that's in the building next door to those places. Right. Mm-hmm. Because your players are always going to be like, what's next door to there? I go in there. Right. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> a bakery? If you're running a World of Darkness game and you say the characters are going to meet at this coffee shop, the first thing somebody says is, What's the owner's name? What's the owner's name of the place next door? Uh, who owns the complex it's in? They always ask these questions. So if you're not prepared for that, that's your fault. Right. So let's talk about plots then. Where would you say you get your inspiration for plots from? So, so when I first first started storytelling, I didn't even own the book. Sure, of course like, not. They were just like, here, storytelling. I was like, oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Which, which uh, game was this? Oh, well, the very first game I story told was, um, I, I did a one, actually, I did a one-shot uh, D&D. I talked about the, yes, yeah. you know, but uh, the the ongoing story was a werewolf game. That oh, I story okay. Told I thought for. the first one you did was Other Strangeness. No, I had that book. But and you I didn't, didn't run it. it. <laughs> you had, so you had the book for TMN, for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, but didn't run it. Correct. But, but the game you did run, you didn't own the book. I didn't me. own the book for, for a while. <laughs> you um, did, this is like a lesson in how not, not to, to do things. Yeah, but that's why I'm a legend. Um, <laughs> I'm Okay. I am not a, a, a rules person, obviously. We've all, we all we've that. mentioned that. Yeah, if you've played in my game. Story, your story so, over mechanics. Yes. And um, and I've always been that way. I don't read how-to LARP books, the the theory of books. I just, I don't, I don't get it. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> you know, like, and I know that's not helpful to other people. So you don't go into a lot of LARP theory books and things, but where do you go for <laughs> those inspirations? So I used to go heavily into the weekly world news. It's not a bad place, especially <laughs> I, for World of Darkness. Batboy lives. Oh, absolutely. I loved it. I used to, uh, I would carry the latest weekly world news with me and my players would all cringe. They'd go, oh no, what's <laughs> happening now? And, you know, even if I wasn't going to use it, I would just use it to, to tease them. Right. I remember um, when we moved from Chicago to Chattanooga, one of your players, as a going away present, gave you a Batboy Lives compendium of all yes. the weekly world news articles. Yeah, it's wonderful. I love it so much. 
Um, and then the other place that I would find um, a lot of inspiration for plots, um, and, and again, like, I, I kind of, uh, my, my bread and butter when I storytell the really good stuff, I, I think anyway, is a lot of the, like, more uh, personal plots for people. Like, you know, I like running someone's boyfriend breaking up with them. I like, you know, because that makes the characters real. Because that happens. That's, sure. You know, um, and I think that's something that lacks in a lot of uh, LARPs that we play in. Yeah. Well, it, it's Everybody hard. Everybody solves the plots. They don't role play enough with each other. I, th- I think that World of Darkness tends to lend itself to that, but most people avoid it. Yes. It's absolutely. also different, too, because most LARP storytellers are men. And we've talked about this mm-hmm. before. Yes. That it's just easier and more acceptable for a female it, storyteller to run. Yes. Those kinds of um, plots, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I used to heavily rely on my watching when I used to watch soap operas. Soap operas are great uh, for LARP. Oh, and, and, and Russia, any, I imagine the way yeah, we talk about any it. any of those drama based moments. Well, because everything is relatively easy to figure out. But it's all about the emotion mm-hmm. of the scene, not the plot of the scene. And I actually think that mush lends itself more to emotional scenes than even LARP does. I think part of it is that we run a very specific kind of LARP, usually, and that is not as in-depth and personal as some other kinds. Maybe. Maybe. I think it's something that me and you might enjoy more than Ryan, because he gets uncomfortable in emotional scenes. Well, you know. And makes a joke. I'm not comfortable with this topic anymore. (laughs) So you basically what you're saying is you get all your best plots come from Batboy and Luke and Laura. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, I was just reading a Facebook post where this guy said that all LARP plots should be based on a Michael Bay film. Oh, because Michael Bay films are big, simple to understand, and all about the interactions between the characters and nothing about what's actually going on. (laughs) That's a weirdly correct observation. Yeah. And there's all sorts of spectacle going on behind you, which you can, if you like, you can participate in. And if you don't like, has nothing to do with you. That's very true. Yeah. So what about you, Jason? Where do you find, where, is there a, a place I, you go for, for plot ideas? I used to go to Wikipedia a lot and just read random articles. And either something in the article would inspire me or I would be inspired just by reading it. You don't understand what I mean? Uh-huh. I also uh, read, try to read stories that are in the same genre, but not necessarily exactly the same. I used to run Exalted for several years, and I didn't read any of the Exalted short fiction, but what I did read was sword and sorcery novels that they got their inspiration from, like uh, Far From the Gray Mouse or Conan, things like that, and then I would run stories that were inspired by those stories, and they did sure. really well. I like, t- for me... Oh, <laughs> yeah. The Hodag. <laughs> Me and Carrie ran a uh, plot at one of the the, the first official Changeling playtests, and it was about the Hodag, which we did get smart and Google the city in which we were playing. Yes, we <laughs> learned from our mistake. And we ran about this uh, ridiculous creature named the Hodag, which uh, lives in the area, and Carrie can remember the details more than me because she ran the actual plot. Yeah, it was... Um, the, the the important thing here is that we learned from our mistake at the hotel. Right. And not only did we Google the city, but then like we got specific and we actually Googled like... Uh, myths around myths the city. Because around it's a changeling game, so it should have myths. Right, and uh, 
This was a, a monster that uh, I don't remember all of it right now, but like he was allergic to lemons. Right. And um, he, he was, was like a, a dynamite was the only way to kill him. Dynamite dyna- and lemons. Dynamite and lemons was the only way to kill him, and he was please, sad. Please Google the hodag. Yeah, you will not brilliant, be disappointed. Brilliant, and and he was very like, and his whole thing was he was sad because he was ugly. That's right. Everybody can relate to that. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Uh, at least gamers. Yeah. Oh, oh. That's why you're the curmudgeon. I'm just saying we I... can. So what other places do we get inspiration? I, you know, for me, the place that I get some of my best plot ideas are when the I'm... Shower. The shower. <laughs> <laughs> it was raining. <laughs> why is it always raining in every scene Ryan does? Now, you know what? I found, though, that like for me, the best plots come from when I'm looking through source the source books... Uh, like if I'm looking through, if it's werewolf, looking through the tribe books, or if I'm going looking through, if it's a Star Wars game, if I'm looking through some of the the source books that came out after the core book and stuff, I like to find that one little throwaway sentence that leads me to something awesome I can make up, like like how there has to be devils. <laughs> no, no. I'll see uh, you in hell. No, there are no demons in Star Wars right. that uh, you know of. <sighs> So, no, but I like when they say, for example, we, we were running a, a Wild West werewolf game, sure. a LARP game, and there is like this one throwaway sort of bad guy in it that was, uh, it's a, they were Metis children of a cross between, I don't even remember now, like a, a, a Mexican... Uh, Mexican Shadow Lords, I think. No, and, the Shadow Lords weren't Mexican. They were... no. The Shadow Lords were European settlers who who mated with Uctina kinfolk correct? that were Mexican. That were Mexican, right? And so, anyway, it's been a little, a little while since since we've done it. So, so these Shadow Lord white men had settled in the West, and they ended up mating with these Mexican Uctina and made these Metis children. That were like, I don't even remember what they were called now. Do you it remember? was, man, it's a difficult word. I don't remember it. Yeah, it's got a funny name. But anyway, it's like a paragraph and a drawing. <laughs> I, I want to say the White Wolf wiki page on them is two sentences. Right. And I saw that and I was like, oh, well, I can turn that into something huge. It's pretty and cool. And that's what we did. It's a fa- And I lo- that's what I love is when you find that like one or two sentences in the source book that kind of is just like a throwaway like, you know, and then they went off and then those characters went off to, to Spain where they did other cool stuff and you start going, well, what happened when they went to Spain? You know, I don't know. So uh, that's that's what I like. So. Okay, so what about characters? Now, when you're playing, where does your inspiration for characters come from? There's a couple of different types of characters, I, I think, and they tend to be based on where your creativity comes from. Like, for example, like I think there are reskinned characters. There's mm-hmm. there's characters that are inspired by something, and then there's like completely original characters. I say original with like air quotes around it because nothing's really original anymore. Uh, Nothing's but, ever been original, right? So let's start just like with a reskin character. You know, I've I've got a friend who every time he plays a character, he he comes to me and he's like he's made the character and he says he says this character is Inigo Montoya, only his name is Bob and he's from the Forgotten Realms. You know, <laughs> is every character Inigo Montoya? Not, not it's not every it's not always Inigo Montoya, but I mean like every character is is like a character from a movie that he loved and that's the character he plays. I used to play with this guy that every single character he ever played 
as far as I know, in his whole life, was the Punisher. Now, it might be the Punisher in Forgotten Realms, or the Punisher in Hunter the Reckoning, sure. or the Punisher in uh, Planescape, but it was always right. the Punisher. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, play what you want to play. The only way to win is to have fun. That's true. And if that's what's fun for you, then that's what you play. We, but, we have that discussion at home a lot with Marty, because she likes to play elven archers, and sometimes she feels weird about it. And I'm like, you know what? You enjoy this. Right. And sometimes they're actually just reskins of past characters they've played. I was just going to say... sometimes that's fine. If you track it it back far enough, and eventually maybe you do find an original character. Right. Um, Especially in Mushes, I see that a lot. Like, people will just come right and say, I played this character in a past game. I'm going to keep playing. And I'm going to... I just, you know... Yeah, I'll change the character's age to fit the genre or or whatever, but this is her story so far. And a Mm -hmm. lot of times I have to go, that... Story doesn't fit with the story that we have, but let's see if we can... You can keep the personality. Maybe keep, you got to change the background. Yeah, we'll just change the background enough to, you know, because like a lot of these people have the story already figured out in the head where they want it to go. I see that a lot in LARP, too. Yeah. People who've written extensive backgrounds, but they've been writing those extensive backgrounds for like 10 or 15 years. Yeah. I think sometimes we reskin characters be- simply because... We created this awesome character that we really loved, and the game only lasted like one session. Sure, right? <laughs> you know, or the mush folded right after I started, or the right. the LARP, you know, wasn't it was I didn't enjoy this LARPs, but I made this character. So the next LARP I play, I'm going to play this character again. Absolutely, and, and you reskin it. You know, sometimes you reskin it because that's just you play the same thing every time, and that's okay too. And then there's inspired by characters. So inspired by characters are where maybe you've watched a movie and you're like, man, I really like the Luke Skywalker character. I don't want to make Luke Skywalker, but I want him to be... Luke skywalker I want him to be a wizard who's just discovering he has powers and is a little bit whiny and is trying to get to Tashi Station to pick up power converters. Sure. (laughs) No. No. There's something to that. Yeah. Right. But more often it happens like this. I want to play a character that's like an Indiana Jones archaeologist adventurer. Right. Like, it's inspired by Indiana Jones, you know. And then the last one is the original character, which is one that you've completely made up on your own. Uh, Because you've never seen any movie or read any book ever. Well, every, like you said before, nothing is completely original. (laughs) Right. Everything is inspired by all the experiences you've had. But some things are more divorced from the material than others. Right. So where do you find the inspiration for these characters? Where, where does this creative bug for creating a character come from? I usually, when I'm creating for a game that is made like this, I'll find an ability or a merit or a flaw or something, and I'll hang the entire character around that. For example, my current vampire character is Lore Master, and everything else in, is informed by that decision. And, like, why is he that... What did he do to get to that point? And every other choice on the character is based around that. Um, what do you do, Carrie? I I have two ways I always go with characters. Um, when I need an inspiration, um, I'm that character. I'm that player. What's the game need? I used to do that more, and then uh, I figured out that most of the time the game needs somebody to have fun in. Yeah, and and I and I I you know struggle with that. Yeah. I, I struggle. That's like one of my the bad things that I do is well, it's I, because you're you're a lot like me one of one of my skills as a player is that I can play just about anything right. and have fun with it mm-hmm. sure not everybody's that way 
But no, like, some people like only play Carrick. I'm not that only way. Only play Warriors. I am not that way in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, oh my god. What goodness. do you only play in Dungeons oh, and Dragons? Oh, Young and Elven Thieves. I play oh. Young Elven Thieves. <laughs> I don't know why. If, that's the only thing I enjoy. But I am also, and Carrie can also attest to this. Fantasy's not my genre. Yeah, no. I, but if I, you are gonna play fantasy, but if I've gotta play, if I've gotta play Dungeons and Dragons, if I've gotta play Dungeons and Dragons, then I'm I'm playing a young elven thief. What does that come from? Don't know. Uh, there's gotta be uh, a movie okay. or something. I know. I believe it's you have a fascination with a coming to uh, coming of age story. Coming of age story. That's true. And I think that's the closest, you know, because like elves. While elves come of age much later in life, they're still coming. So of age. he's not playing like a twelve-year-old. Yeah, it's, it's important to say. I say young elven thieves, but it's it's elvish young. So yeah, he, it's still like somebody. You want to be a, somewhat experienced, but you also want to be coming into your own. Right? Yeah, and thieves, you know, thieves are like it's that diamond into the rough that that lends itself to the like, mm-hmm. sort oh, of yeah. coming absolutely of age. I don't know. That's just what I play. So, but when I'm when I'm not playing those things, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna find inspiration like a lot of times from the art in the books you know you had said that you hang you sort of hang your character creation on a a, a flaw or something like right. that a lot of times I find myself finding a piece of art and I go I'm playing I'm going to build that that explains all the art from books that you have in your house so there <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whether they're whether that's setting books for the for the actual game that we're playing, or maybe you know you find something on Deviant Art or just on the internet or whatever. But I found that like art really inspires me to to what a character should be like. I do the same thing with uh with character stuff like like with uh like with costumes. You always have to have a custom piece. Like, or like if I go to a thrift store, I'll be like, I found this wacky hat. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna make this. a character. Your what character? kind of character would wear would this wear hat? this hat? And then you build the character around. To be that. fair, I have done similar things. Mm-hmm. I've been like, this coat looks ridiculous. Let's do it. I've got to play a character uh-huh. with this coat. Absolutely. Right? I might have to wait a couple of years. Oh, I have, a, I have a costume closet that has a bunch of stuff that one day I'm going to use. <laughs> if I ever lose the weight. I have a <laughs> velvet, purple velvet coat that I never thought I'd get to play oh, until I yeah. wore it as a, an NPC for Underground Theater. That's awesome. That was a lot of fun. I, and there are weird, you know, I think there are weird places, too, that sometimes Inspirado can Inspirado. come from. Inspirado, yeah, a little mm-hmm. Tenacious D for you. Oh, always yes. record. Always record. Always. Um, but well, that's how they lost the greatest song ever. Because right. they didn't record it. But, it, you know, for example, the Ratkin that I'm playing in uh, the Werewolf LARP yes. currently. You know, I'm playing a, a Ratkin because I personally do not care for the way they have handled the werewolf part of but you like how the of, Ratkin of the universe when they've when, in the new books uh, but by playing a Ratkin they've changed the Ratkin very little and so by playing a Ratkin I don't have to interact with or learn or or you know be a part of the parts of the book that I'm not crazy about so you can still enjoy so the I game. can still enjoy the game and I could not ruin it for other people because if I'm playing something I don't like I'm not having fun and right. that can ruin the game for other people uh, and also, if I'm not having fun, why should I play? Absolutely. You know, Never and, play if you're not having fun. Right. So Find I, a way to have fun or stop playing. Right. And so, like, my creativity for this werewolf game was make something that's not a werewolf because I don't want to deal with this with the changes. changes. You know, uh, another good place to find inspiration for a character is, you know, unlike where Carrie asks, you know, what does this group need? 
another thing would be to ask the other players, what sort of connections are you looking to have? I really like that. Uh, the few times that I've made strong character connections before game, it has certainly shaped the character. Mm-hmm. I mean, my uh, werewolf character is defined by our relationship because we're friends. Right. And also defined by... That's how you know it's role-playing. That's how you know it's yeah, role-playing. Gross. <laughs> and also by the fact that... Uh, while his parents were terrible, his one den mother, which is another PC, was good. So his relationship with the Grunation is less adversarial as a Metis than it could be. Right. And if you're, if you decide, you know, well, I'm gonna, my character is going to be your sister or your brother or your, you know, whatever. Those connections can can inspire you to go directions. Oh, absolutely. Well. Yes. yes. And you know, speaking to what Carrie says about what the game needs. Uh, for example, my werewolf character certainly changed when we realized that while my character was designed to be a sycophant, that was the opposite of what the game needed. Even if he wasn't going to be the leader of a group or in-game, it didn't need people who were sycophants. That would right. be useless. So I, I changed it somewhat. <laughs> right now, like half of our listeners are on Google. Sycophant. I would, I I, hope I would that do our... the same, but I can't spell it, so... I can barely spell it, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I right. can say it. Let's go ahead and drop on a combat rounds then. <laughs> All right, let's do game wrap. Uh, first up, just want to let everybody know that you can find us at honorrollpodcast.com. I found us. Oh, where were we? Honorrollpodcast.com. Uh, you can also find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and about a dozen other places that podcasts live online. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash honorrollpodcast.com. Please send us ideas for future episodes. That's right. We won't use them, but we appreciate that you send them. Right. It, <laughs> he will it shows use a level them. of engagement that we're surprised by. That's right. Uh, and then if you've got any ideas or if you just want to complain about how Jason missed last week's episode, you can send us an email at hosts at honorrollpodcast.com. So let's go ahead and give out experience points. So uh, XP awards. Uh, first up, Jason, you get uh, 7 XP for uh, for correcting me on the Wretched Ones and letting me know that the Shadow Lords were not the Mexicans, that it was Diutena. They yeah. were Spanish, which is the same. Uh, you also lose 8 XP for being <laughs> wrong. <laughs> they were Mexican. The they Shadow Lords. For the Mexico area. The Shadow Lords were the ones from Mexico, not the Utena. Uh, uh, <laughs> you also, but on the flip side, you get 2 XP for using Sycophant. Uh, well, it is I mean, my favorite word. Yeah, that's I use it at work all the time. I'm really? pretty sure that's a font, isn't it? It is a font. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Carrie, you get 5 XP for attendance. Uh, it's like old reliable. Uh, uh, thanks. You also get 5 XP for those fancy new headphones that nobody can see, but I, know. I think look very fashionable. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, that brings us to a close. Join us next week when our topic is Peter Cushing, the one and only true Doctor Who. Until next time, remember, the only way to win an RPG <laughs> is to have fun. <laughs> the thoughts and opinions that were on this podcast belong to just those folks who were on this podcast and to nobody else. 
All of the music was courtesy of Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Thank you.